Well, welcome to Calvary Chapel Plain Wrap. We uh, were decorated for VBS last week, and now it just looks so plain after we've gotten everything out of here. Um, we did have Vacation Bible School every night this past week from Monday through to Friday, and um, it was the best BBS, BBS we've ever had. Whether it actually was or not, I don't know, but each one that we do should seem like the best one. Um, it, it just went really smooth. Everybody who served did so wholeheartedly. Um, very few issues came up, and they were dealt with, and it was just so neat just to see everybody coming together and serve. So I just want to thank those who served faithfully. I mean, keep in mind, we had people who worked and came here every night last week from 6, really, from about 5.15 up through to about 9.15, 9.30, and um, it was just so good. Uh, we had... Uh, we averaged about 95 kids a night, give or take. Um, that's more children that we have that come to this church. So, you know, we did have that element of reaching out as well. And so as good as that ministry was, we're still having effect. We had a church come down from Fallbrook and took our set and all of our stuff. They didn't come and take it. We gave it to them. Um, but they were tremendously blessed. We gave them a call and asked if they wanted it. And yeah, and they came down and they hauled it all over to Fallbrook. And so the efforts of our decorations will continue to minister and what the Lord wants to do in this coming week. And so yeah, that's a really good thing as well. But as for today, go ahead and turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. We'll be picking up at verse 1. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath your seat. If there isn't, if you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. Anybody need a Bible? Everybody's good? Okay, turn it to James chapter 5, verse 1, and then stand for the reading of God's Word. James writes, Come now, he's trying to get our attention, pay attention now, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. That could be Lord of Sabbath or Lord of hosts. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Father, as we see these things, I pray, Lord, that, Lord, it can seem so far from us, but I pray, Father, that we would see the, the concepts that you would have for us, for Christian living, and that we would apply them to our lives. And, Father, we would be a blessing unto you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Just a kind of a bit of a preface. We're talking about wealth here and the proper use of wealth. Um, don't get caught up in rich so much, but just what God has blessed us with. Now, wealth in itself is benign, just as I could take one of those chairs and sit on it and rest, or I could take one of those chairs and beat somebody over the head with it. I can use it for good, I could use it for evil. Wealth is the same way. Wealth within itself is not a bad thing. It can be used for God's glory, but it also can be used for the flesh of mankind. Now, the lack of wealth, the lack of riches, isn't a bad thing as well. It doesn't mean that God has cursed you. God meets each and every one of us where we are at, but to the degree that which he has blessed us, we need to consider these things. Because once again, as always, the issue, the issue is always the heart. Now, we are not a health and wealth or prosperity church by any stretch of the imagination. So um, just because somebody has more than that doesn't mean that they're blessed in the sight of God more than somebody else. Um, saving money, was we're going to look at hoarding, this is different, but saving money is a good thing. It's good to have something for your retirement. And we're told that we should store something else for an inheritance for our children and our children's children as well. So those things being set, we move into what James has for us today. Now, the theme of James' previous thought was the dependency on God that faith produces. And so we're continuing steadfast in that concept of faith. Now, 
It's as if James is looking at a group of people in a church and focusing on a certain section where the prosperous are positioned. A certain group within the church who have lost perspective concerning the cares of the world and their relationship with their wealth. These are those who lean more heavily upon their money than their God. So once again, these are people that seem to be within a church. Now, when you're not focusing upon the Lord, when you're not walking according to God's word, there can be that, well, is that person really saved? Is that person not saved? And you don't know, but that's not really our determination to make. But if they're calling themselves a believer, then, well, they need to make sure that their hearts are right in this area. We need to make sure that our hearts are right in this area. And so again, come now, there's that term in order to get their attention. And that, again, don't think of it as them. Think of it as us. Think of it as me. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. So the question needs to be asked, is it wrong to be wealthy? Is it righteous to be rich? God does bless his people financially, but those he does, he first will prepare to handle his finances. And so God does bless us financially, so finances can be a blessing. Finances can be a curse. I've seen people gain finances to their own detriment, at least their detriment of the relationship with Jesus Christ. So as with all things, we need to do things biblically. We need to conduct ourselves rightly in the sight of the Lord. And so God, well, I remember King David. And King David, he's getting ready to face this giant down in the valley. And as he's preparing to face this giant, he's heard this giant is coming and he's cursing God's people and this ought not to be. David's beside himself because he's a man who depended upon the Lord for so much. A lion came into the flock and he would go and fight that lion off. When a bear came, he would deliver his sheep from the mouth of the bear and the mouth of the lion. And so he was bold in that way. But now he's seeing this uncircumcised Philistine curse God. But God... God placed it upon his heart, but God also used other means of motivation as well. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25, it says, So the men of Israel, when David asked what will be done for the man who faces this giant, so the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And so there was money as a motive. Money can be a motive in our lives. Again, money within itself, not a bad thing. Money causes causes us to get up for work every single day. If you don't work, you don't eat. And I don't think any of us get paid in food. We get paid in cash. And we go and we buy the necessities. And again, our job is God's mean for provision for us and for our household, for the body of Christ and all others that we're able to have influence over. The Apostle Paul gives us a little list as far as checking our hearts, though, and money matters. Let's go ahead and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. We're going to spend some time there, lay a foundation, and then we'll come back to James. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, I'll read it and we'll go down our little list here. Again, Paul is talking to this young pastor, Timothy. He's the pastor at a church in Ephesus at this time. And what is he doing? Well, the theme of 1 Timothy is so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the house of the living God. And as we go through Timothy, we see he's looking at the whole spectrum of people within the body of Christ. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age. So he says present age, so you don't overly spiritualize it. Well, we're all rich, but he's talking about in monetary means. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of an eternal life. And so, message today is for all you rich people here. But 
when I say that, I do so kiddingly, but also seriously, because there's quite a few people in quite a few countries that would look at the person who is the least rich of us all monetarily and think that that person is a billionaire. You know, just the American standard that has been set, we so look past God's provision and how he has provided for us every day, and we look to that which the flesh desires. We are all rich. I mean, we're all well off. Everybody came here in a car. Everybody had a meal this morning. And again, if not, God wants to provide you for those things. But we have to understand there's many people in this world would look at us, even middle class Ontario and see or at least believe how rich we really are. So the first thing that Paul says, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, is to be humble. To be humble, whether you're a self-made man, you know, you started a business, worked that business, and prospered that business, or you came about it some other way, but nonetheless, don't think you're something because of the size of your bank account. You're to be humbled in the sight of the Lord. You're to be humble in the sight of the Lord, or you will be humbled in the sight of the Lord. Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job understood this, and Job was a man who was well off. says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's not one of us that can take anything with us when we go. We stand transparent before a holy God. Maybe you have accumulated wealth by investing wisely, working hard, saving diligently, sacrificing daily, an inheritance, whatever it might be, and those are all okay. Know this, that it's not where your wealth has come from, though. It's not that God has, that hasn't provided through hard work, but it's not your hard work is the means by which your wealth has come from or your intellect or whatever else it might be. It's God as he has provided for you. We must continually recognize the source from whom all good things have come from. The ability to work hard, that comes from God. It was kind of cool, vacation Bible school. There's a lot of people that gave a lot of hard work. And their hard work, I believe, God used that. and He ministered to people. But it was the ability, seeing how people were gifted in different parts of the body as they all came together to do that great work that we experienced this past week. Well, in my life, that plays out in so many different ways. And I have to understand, ultimately, the source of it all is my Lord and Savior. Those efforts, those were just efforts that God has decided to bless. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, once again, here's a series of questions. And remember, a question when it's asked in the Bible, usually the answer is to the negative. And so, who makes you differ from another? Well, nothing. And what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. And if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? Well, you shouldn't. It was a blessing that has been given to us from God, whatever it is that we have received. Your spiritual gifting, this isn't because you're the almighty, whatever it is you've been gifted in. This is that God has given you grace and gifted you in a particular area that you would be able to exercise that gifting in the body of Christ so that the body of Christ would be all that it can be. As we're all understanding that everybody here is a member, we all join together in all of our imperfections and work in unity, it's then that we see God do a great work, but ultimately it's all of, all of the Lord. Secondly, if you are rich, if you are rich, continue to trust God and not the wealth. Verse 17 again, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. How much money do you need to live the rest of your life? Regardless of how old you are today, how much money do you need to live the rest of your life so that you would not have to work? That's not a good thing, but I just want you to consider this for my purposes of illustration. If it's a million dollars, we'll just kind of use some terms, a million dollars, so I'm, I'm gracious and I give you a million dollars out of my many, many million dollars, but are you going to be able to continue to trust in God? Because I'm going to, you know, I can quit my job and I can do this and I can do that. I'll put it in the bank, I'll invest it, whatever, and I'll be able to make money off it. And, you know, I'll, I'll well, 
Are you trusting in that million dollars? Is your future held up in that million dollars or two million or three million or four million? And what happens when we experience, because I guarantee you we're going to experience it again when the bubble breaks once more. It's cyclical. It's always going to burst at some point. What happens when that happens and your million all of a sudden is now just 500,000 or whatever it might shrink to? Ultimately, we have to always be reminded, be mindful, regardless of how God has blessed us, ultimately our dependency is upon the Lord. It's he from whom all good things come from, James pointed out previously. It's my God who takes care of me. It's my God who provides for all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, verses 20 through 21, we looked at this man last week. We'll look at him again, a man who was dependent upon his things and stuff rather than his God. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he, a fool, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so I've got to keep, we must keep the proper perspective that our dependency is upon our provider who is the Lord. It's not the bank, it's not the job, it's not ability. Banks go upside down. Jobs are lost in ability. Well, when our health goes, if we'd been dependent upon ability, then we're in a bad way. But our God endures forever. The same God who loved me to such a degree that he sent his only begotten son to die upon the cross is the God who loved me for the purpose of saving me, but also for the purpose of keeping me. And so I give my best effort in my job. I try to be as wise as I can and shrewd as possible in my finances. But once again, keep these things in a proper perspective. This is a sign, improper perspective of finances is definitely a sign, as we're going to see when we close today, a sign of the end times. We see our society today, it's so money-driven And as it's money-driven, we see that biblical morals get run over and trampled underfoot. Thirdly, if you are rich, enjoy what God has given you. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Enjoy what God has given you. We're not stoics. We're not... You know, Eeyore believers, oh, I I feel blessed and, and I must be in sin. You know, we're not like that. God wants you to enjoy what he has blessed you with. I had some friends. They were attending a a smaller church, and they were doing very well in their business, and God was blessing them, and they recognized that, and they supported their church. They gave to the church. They supported other ministries, and they made the determination that they were going to buy a nice car, and they did. They bought a brand new, very expensive, nice car. Now, they could afford that nice car, but there was a lot of people who were speaking bad of them because they'd pull up in church with a nice car. Well, who am I to say what you deserve and you don't deserve? I like to think in the purchases that we make, we pray to God and we buy accordingly, staying within the realm of what we're able to afford. And you know what? If you pull up in the church parking lot in a nicer car than I am, how could I possibly be so petty than to speak evil of what you should be doing? Now, It is a biblical reality that before you buy anything, you should talk to Pastor Mike first, and I'll make the determination of what is right and what is wrong. No, that's your responsibility, and you know what? It's none of my business. It's just flat out none of my business. I pray that God blesses you. I pray that God blesses you, that you understand the riches of our salvation. I pray that you understand how valuable it is that God will never leave me nor forsake me. And if God has blessed you monetarily, worship God and honor God through your finances, but enjoy it as well. My dad, he he, he worked, my dad worked at a job, he had his own business, but he said there were days that he woke up and he dreaded going into work. He says, I should have been a pharmacist. That's what my father wanted me to be. I can't picture my dad being a pharmacist. But nonetheless, very successful, retired at 55. When he retired at 55, he realized, 
I've got enough to last me the rest of my life. Then all of a sudden, this man who could care less what he ate and how much he ate of what he ate, is all of a sudden now taking better care of himself because he wanted to enjoy what he had. Unfortunately, God only gave him 11 more years and he passed away. Then whose will those finances be? Well, my mother, he's given up to support my mother for the rest of his life. And I don't know, I think mom's going out. She just got back from a cruise and now she's going again. She's spending all of our inheritance. But that's another sermon. But you know what? We need to, you know, at 55, he did enjoy it. He did enjoy it. He, he, he calmed down a bit. He took better care of himself. Always wanted to make a clock out of wood, and he made this amazing clock out of wood. I have one in my, my front hall at my house and got to do quite a few other things, even traveled a little bit. My father wasn't a big traveler, and so he did learn to enjoy to some degree. You've got to learn to enjoy because life is all about enjoying what God has given us. And part of that is, is honoring the Lord in our enjoyment as well. And so we've got to keep these things, again, in proper perspective. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. And so going out and killing yourself isn't going to give you a better position in heaven. Going out and killing yourself is not going to give you greater favor in the sight of God. I just need to honor God in the means by which I am to biblically honor God. I need to enjoy the wife of my youth, enjoy my kids. We had Henry, one of my grandkids, with us. He came to VBS Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. And it was just a joy to have him. You've got to learn to enjoy because I'm one of these people. I can be focused upon a task where I just kind of lose focus of everybody else or got to be careful, even sometimes run over other people. But I've got to focus, not focus upon so much that I lose perspective of the Lord. And sometimes the journey, sometimes the journey is the enjoyment. Again, we have to build the set here, but working together with one another and enjoying the fellowship. I'm, I'm here, and we're, we've got stuff to do, and we're trying to get ready for VBS, and I see two people talking off to the side. My first mindset is, what are they sitting there talking for? They need to get busy. But you can't lose this perspective. We've got to understand that sometimes the greater part of the ministry is in the process. Fourthly, if you are rich, employ what God has given you. Verses 18 and 19, still in 1 Timothy chapter 6, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. It's a biblical concept. As you give, God will give. It's been said that you can't take it with you, you, can't take it with you when you go, but you can send it on ahead. And the idea here is, is to make an investment. What God has blessed me with, abilities or material things, and the, the, the uh, context here is material things, use it to build God's kingdom of heaven. Now, when Jesus was walked the earth, he used our monetary possessions as an example because, well, where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And... The paychecks that we all earn, work for, sweat over, spend 40 hours a week minimum, and that's just at the job. Some of us are commuters, two hours out, two hours back. There is value to that, without a doubt. And we do have a responsibility to watch over that. But God's saying, and that's all a good thing, but don't lose focus. Use these things for my glory. I have provided them to you so that I would be glorified through every aspect of your life and how much more so in this aspect of life that truly reflects where our heart is with the investments you make here we re we receive returns in heaven on the other side of the coin in first timothy 6:10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows speaks of the wicked way of wealth see wealth becomes wicked when it's attached to greed unrighteousness and lust when we go out to my daughter's house in Yucca Valley, we pass this casino, Morongo. And as we're passing this casino, a lot of times we pass it at night, it's well lit up. 
I mean, it's this bright spot in the middle of the desert that's out there, and it's got all of the bells and the whistles and all of these things, and you think, man, that thing had to cost a lot of money, not just to build, but with all those lights. I can imagine what the electrical bill is. How did they afford all of that? They afforded it one fool at a time. The person that went in there and think, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to hit the big one today. And never do they really. Morongo, they've got enough money, they make commercials. And you see commercials, they're young people, they're drinking, and they're just pulling on that lever, throwing the dice, and they don't show who wins. And sometimes they do show who wins, and it's false advertising. I remember this was before we were saved. My wife brought me on a surprise birthday trip to uh, uh, Lake Tahoe. And... We, had, we put $100 aside, and okay, we're going to gamble with this much money. And I wasn't a gambler. I didn't like gambling. It didn't make sense to me to give other people my money. But nonetheless, we were just made, okay, we're just going to use this. We're going to have fun with it. And so I went, and I'm watching. You know, I played slot machines a little bit, and I went to the roulette table. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, okay, I got this figure. I can do this. And so I made this one bet, and I won. And I just kept winning. And they kept shoveling chips to me, and I don't have a clue how much money I won. And you know why I don't have much, a clue how much money I won? Because I gave it all back to them. <laughs> it's just an amazing thing. And then I went up to my wife to tell her, because I was still excited that I won what I won, even though I lost it all. And she, she came up, and she was playing a slot machine, and the bells were going off, and I go, you won $300. She goes, no, I only put one quarter in. I go, why didn't you put three quarters in? <laughs> and I just realized, I've got to get away from here i got to get away from here. It's not me, and it's not a place. And again, I wasn't even saved at this time. It's just not a place that, that I should be. And so again, how do they build them? One fool at a time because the odds are in their favor. Why? Because of greed, unrighteousness, and lust. We're not doing it for God's kingdom, that's for sure. But there are righteousness of riches. Consider the Christian casino, just to use an example, no such thing. But... It's God's building, God building his kingdom, one wise man at a time. One wise person at a time. Not really a gamble, because God has stacked the odds in our favor. There's going to be a return on our investment, and guess what? It's no gamble whatsoever. It's a sure thing. It's a sure thing that is in store for us for all of eternity. God provides for our provision, righteousness, and our holiness. And in God's economy, the more you lose, the more you win. And it's the beauty of it all. God God has our well-being. He cares for our well-being. He looks after us and looks out for us. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it's a Christian concept here. There's no doubt about it, and we've got to consider it. He says, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out to you such blessings as, the world, as there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, I'm not giving God money just because of what I'm able to get, but look at this situation concerning the tithe, concerning our giving and Old Testament, New Testament, and how all of this fits together. Well, God has called for us to give. Remember the widow and the widow's might? Sean refers to it every so often. When Jesus speaks to the Pharisees about them tithing 10%, and Jesus said all these things you should do. And he was, he was honoring the widow because of her heart to give. And that's what it all boils down to, our heart. We've got 10% given in the scriptures. That's what my wife and myself use. We give 10% of everything that we give, we give to the church. I get paid by the church, but we tithe back to the church because we want to see the work of God continue to go forward from this place. And this is an act of worship and trust and an exhibit of faith, at least just for ourselves in God and who God is and what God is able to do. So for us, it's essential. I was told by one of the guys in the church when we started the church that I shouldn't be giving, but he's lost complete concept of what giving really means and what it is in the Christian life. Do you have to give 10%? 
No, you don't have to give 10%. That's not a commandment that affects your salvation or your standing with God. You need to give whatever it is that you're able to give and glorify God in that. As Paul said, we are to give hilariously. If you can give with purity of heart a little, then give a little. If you a lot, then give a lot. Whatever it might be, you need to have the understanding, this is an expression of my worship to God. And so, is it wrong to have wealth? No. It's only wrong when wealth has you. We must keep a proper perspective. Go ahead and turn back to James. Now, as we continue on, James looks at three ways in which you know that wealth has a hold on you. First of all, first question, do you hoard it rather than use it? Do you hoard it or do you use it? Verses 2 and 3, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Well, apparently God has given these people this wealth and impressed upon their heart what to do with it, but they're not doing what God desires for them to do with it. See, when it says heaped up, the idea is is they've hidden it away. They haven't invested it. It's not so much that they're saving it. This is the improper handling of what God has given them, or, well, what God has blessed them with. As these last days become more laster in our time, we really should be doing more ministry. More ministry as a church. Again, we had the blessing of last week, but that needs to be something common more than once a year. Not saying we need to have VBS every week, but we need to be of the mindset of reaching out into our community. Now, there is a Christian concept and a righteous reality that money and ministry go hand in hand. When we did Vacation Bible School, I don't know how much it cost exactly, but a few thousand dollars, if not a little bit more than that. Some people have donated stuff and and whatnot, so that helps with the cost, but it's basically paid for. We don't have a special VBS fund. It's paid for for by your tithes and offering. The things that we do in this church, if you hear the hum right now, that'd be the air conditioning. That gets paid for through your offerings. Our air conditioning bill is about $1,100 a month. This building that we sit in right now, it's $10,400 a month. And the, we have a new land. That's what I say every time I write the check. Um, we have a new landlord who just purchased it, and a few of the people that I have talked to, their rent has gone up 50%. And so in about a year and a half, we'll have to be dealing with that as well. But that's okay. When God guides, God provides. And God has provided every step of the way for our church. This isn't a plea for funds. This is just speaking biblical truths and the realities that we all have to be aware of. When you go into the bathroom today and you flush the toilet, there will be water in the toilet that does what it's supposed to do. If you want coffee, there's donuts and all of these things. But again, it's all part of ministry and we happily provide them as we are able to provide them. But again, it just reinforces the concept of money and ministry that go hand in hand. As far as our vacation Bible school. We blessed a lot of kids. We blessed a lot of families and the people who were able to serve. And so it's all good. And Luke chapter 16 verse 8 says, this is the Lord speaking to his disciples, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And what the Lord was doing was giving his disciples, his apostles, a lesson in how to use resources. The sons of the world, well, they're pretty sure. Morongo, they're going to light the building up real well. It's going to be an attractant. They're going to put a commercial on TV with happy people and the slot machines, money flowing out of them because they know they'll get a return on that. The malls are opulent because they know that that's what attracts people. Now, we're attracting people for the glory of God. Now, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt about that. But we want to meet a people where they're at that participate in this society where we are at. And so there's certain things that are necessary to minister to people. We're not going to go off on the deep end. One of the things that we bought for VBS was a smoke machine. And I've heard, are we going to be using that in church? I'm not a smoke machine kind of a guy. Well, for vacation Bible school, it's fine, but not for our church services. 
And so we must learn to be shrewd, meeting people where they are at. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul's talking in the concept or in the context of giving. If you throw a few seeds out, you'll have little fruit. If you throw a lot of seeds out, you'll have a lot of fruit. Notice how James compares these wasted riches, as I said earlier, with the last days. It says, in the last part of verse 3, you have heaped up treasure in these last days. Now, in these last days, again, the apostles and James, who was not one of the twelve, but nonetheless, they believed that they were in the last days back then. And so he's looking at a reality, not only in society, but also in the church that we can take into our time today. As I said earlier, as the days become more laster, we should become more busier. And so using our resources in a wise way and that we're able to touch people for the glory of God. Because when those last days truly come upon us, what good are those riches really going to be? Turn over to Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Gives us a little bit of a picture here on what will be happening during the time of tribulation. Those who make their investment in the kingdom of God during this time, they'll be gone. They're spiritually rich and they've been raptured. But you've got the hoarder who's still here and worldly rich. Now again, a born-again believer can be disobedient and still be raptured, and so obviously a hoarder here would be somebody who is not saved. But what will their riches be worth? Well, Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. The idea is commerce. And I heard a voice in the midst of four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. This voice from the midst of the four living creatures is God, and it's a reminder that this is his judgment coming upon mankind. And really the picture is, the picture is what happens during wartime is inflation run wild. Well, how much when there's a worldwide cataclysmic event? Now, remember Katrina in New Orleans? Remember, I, I just had seen some pictures recently. It kind of brought that back to remembrance. There were those people in New Orleans that were pretty much stranded. Remember, they all went, I don't remember the name of the stadium there, but they were all in there, and it's like people were yelling, help us, we need food, we need water. Now, what have we been told, at least society has said, you know, you need to save up for the hard times and the difficult days and invest in gold. You, you, you know, when, when the banks go upside down, when, when, when whatever, the financial institutions are gone, gold is going to be what endures. Well, all the gold in the world didn't do those people any good at that point. There's going to come a time when money is going to be absolutely worthless especially when it comes to starvation, especially when it comes to dying of thirst or dying of the elements, exposure, or whatever it might be. That's where the value is going to be. And again, this is a picture of inflation run wild. A quart of wheat is enough for one meal, and that costs a day's wages. So however much you earn in a day, just think of it that way for one portion of one meal. I say a portion because you've got to feed your family. Three quarts of barley is one day's worth of barley, which is really looked at as animal feed or a poor, poor person's meal. Again, one day's wages. When it says, do not harm the oil and the wine, do not waste that which is considered essential for preparation of food and purification of water. Again, where is the value? The value is in the things that man has need of during certain times or during these difficult times. His riches are not going to be able to do a thing for him. This will only add to the wars and the killings and the poverty Man will kill, him, kill one another for these things, for his necessities. Secondly, 
going back, go ahead and turn back to, to James chapter 5. You know that wealth has a hold on you if you are more dependent upon fraud than faith. Maybe a better term would be manipulation than faith. Again, verse 4, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. The idea is this is a man who has made money and finances to be such a focal point in his life that he's even taken, care, uh, taken advantage of those who are working for him. And again, we can be of the mindset of save and accumulate and get, And we can do so even to the detriment of others. This is a dependence upon schemes and scams and scandals, as I said, manipulations, rather than God's provision and being uh, satisfied with that which God has provided and having a confidence or faith that he will continue to provide. And maybe the best example of this would be looking at our perspective on our finances, are you able to release when God is saying release? Are you able to, are you willing to work hard when God says to work hard? Because God's going to tell us there's going to be times of getting, there's going to be times of giving. And to have that flow working in our lives, because that's a true example of faith in God. Just as truly as God has delivered and given to me, I'm going to give to others. I'm going to be a blessing for God into the lives of others. Because think about it. How has God provided for you? How has God given to you? You know, as I've said jokingly so many times, he hasn't just interjected money into your bank account. If you find money in your bank account, then sooner or later they're going to come knocking on your door and they're going to want it back. But God provides through job, through the generosity of so many others, and there's just so many different ways. Now, If I'm in the midst of that, why has God provided for me? Because he wants to provide for others as well. And I'm not talking about just going out and aimlessly giving money. I'm not talking about giving money to the guy on the side of the freeway with a sign. Far be it from me, if I think that somebody's going to buy booze or alcohol, then I'm definitely not going to give them money. But I can give them food. If somebody asks for money, I mean, I've had people ask for money for food, and I offer to give them food, and they turn me down. Um, So it kind of tells me the perspective. And I try to be as wise as I can, but I still want to be a generous spirit. I still want to be somebody who who gives and is used by God in that capacity. And so an employer, whether you are an employer or have an employer, he's God's conduit or you're God's conduit for God's provision to his people. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 through 28, "...do not withhold good from those to whom it is due." When it is in the power of your hand to do so, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. That's kind of something, when I was in construction, this verse stood out to me and I conducted my construction business by it. When I had the money, I I gave it sometimes even when, when things were slow or at least when people weren't paying me, even sometimes to the detriment of my family. In here at church, when I get a bill, I pay the bill. I pay the bill as quickly as I possibly can because, again, the Bible tells me, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. When a service is rendered, the bill is to be paid unless there are other arrangements that are made. But the idea here is is that this person has the funding and the ability to pay, and we need to do so. And again, it all falls under the heading of a proper perspective of funds. We've probably all dealt with companies, we have, that you've got these multi-million dollar companies and they owe you whatever they owe you, and they just seem, why do they keep putting this off? Why does it take so long for them to pay? Well, when you think of how, many, how much money they owe people and the amount of money they can make in interest, well, of course they're going to put it off to the very end. But we're not to have that heart. As much as it depends upon us, because the way I've always saw it, if there's somebody that I've hired to do a work, he's probably, especially if it's a believer, he's prayed that God would provide. 
And God said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to hook you up with Mike, and Mike's going to have you do this work, and Mike's going to pay. Now, if I hold back from them, who in actuality am I holding back from? I'm holding back from God. And so, again, we've got to keep these things in proper perspective. Thirdly, you know that wealth has a hold on you if your priority is pleasure over God's purpose. Verses 5 through 6. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. So the whole idea has always been self-centeredness as far as the riches. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So these are people who had no means by which to resist. They were kind of at this person's beck and call. And you have condemned and you have murdered the just. There's many ways we can murder. doesn't mean that they went and killed them necessarily, but just to treat people spitefully, to treat people horribly, to cause people to turn away from God, to be a believer, to put an igthus on your business card or whatever and, and conduct your business contrary to biblical concepts. Think of that. That's a spiritual murdering of somebody's faith. And so I've got to look at these things and, well, look at these things. I've got to look at how God has provided for me. How can I use this for the glory of God, through God's kingdom, and just conduct yourself accordingly? Again, as God has commanded us to do these things, we've just read these things from the word of God. God will direct you in your unique situation. I've given, I've given generalities. You need to make it specific to your life, to what God has called you to do. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of your necessities, all of these things will be added to you. And this final thought in mind as you seek your net worth increase, as you see your net worth increase, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. God, what am I able to do with what you have given me. I pray that that would be the thought that you leave with here today. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord. We see, Lord, as, as we evaluate our lives, we see the riches which you have given us, the spiritual riches, yes, that we have eternity, and there's no doubt, and that's the priority, but also the monetary riches, Lord. We just thank you, Father, that you have provided our daily bread, that you have provided for us a place to stay. And Lord, if we are honest with ourselves, we've seen that you've provided even so much more. And so, Father, just as you have given to us, I pray that we would be a people that would consider how we are able to give back to you. And Father, I pray that that would be the prayer of our heart. There's so many different ways. There's so many different areas. Lord, you have a different calling on each person in this, lot, in this room. I pray, Father, that you would make these things real. I pray, Father, that those here today would pray and ask with just an honest heart before their God. And so, Lord, we just want to see your kingdom expanded. Show us how to do that, that, God, you would be glorified in and through this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Well, Vacation Bible School is done, and now we're moving on to the next event that we have at the end of the month. The men's fishing trip is coming up, and it's not just a men. It's more, we've kind of made it more into a father-son kind of a thing. In my case, it'll be a father-son-in-law-grandson kind of a thing. Um, encourage you to bring young men with you. We need to get them involved in the Lord and the ways of the Lord and in the teachings and what godly fellowship is amongst men. And so pray about it, guys. Um, the last-minute sign-up rush is coming upon us. It's not here yet, but we encourage you, if that's what God has laid upon your heart, to be there. And I think the more, the better that you would get signed up, that you get signed up even today. Uh, tonight, we're foregoing our verse-by-verse Bible study, and we're going to be watching. We're having movie night. We're going to be watching the movie I Can Only Imagine. I've yet to see it. Everybody tells me it's real good, and they tell me to bring Kleenex. So I'll, I'll do that. God bless you guys.
Have a wonderful afternoon, and there will be prayer up front. God bless you.